I look forward to the full counting of the votes in California, which I suspect will show a much closer vote than the current vote tally. Hmm, we'll see. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Maybe. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in Los Angeles, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, and up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, Radio Monterey, and Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell, if exhausted, fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for what will no doubt be another action-packed, thrilling adventure and we've got a lot of breaking news today going on, um, and uh, we're going to get to it uh, momentarily concerning uh, Bernie Sanders and President Obama. And uh, we've got more information now coming out of California and from the L.A. County clerk concerning the, uh, some might say, rather alarming number of uncounted ballots still to go in um out here in California and specifically out here in Los Angeles County. I've got, an, uh, uh, as I reported on yesterday's program, which, yes, we did. I've joked about it before, but we actually did go to a second hour uh, yesterday. If you missed that, you can check out uh, bradblog.com and get that second hour with all kinds of alarming calls, frankly, from uh, poll workers and voters out here in California. Uh, in any event, some 240,000 provisional ballots were cast in Los Angeles County alone. Those are yet to be tallied, as well as vote by mail and uh, vote by mail ballots, uh, some, what, 330,000 of them. So about a quarter million votes out here in Los Angeles County yet to be uh, tallied from last Tuesday's primary and many more around the state. We'll get to all of that and the remarks from the uh, county clerk that we received exclusively here for you on the broadcast momentarily. Uh, so a lot to get to today. Uh, first, this breaking news just in shortly before air, a federal appeals court on Thursday has ruled that there is no Second Amendment protection for concealed weapons, as CNN describes it, allowing states to uh, prohibit or restrict the public from carrying concealed firearms. 
The on-bank opinion by the full Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals could set up a showdown on gun rights at the Supreme Court, they say. At issue was California's law on concealed weapons, which requires citizens to prove they have, quote, good cause to carry concealed firearms to get a license. Plaintiffs had charged uh, the guidelines in San Diego and Yolo counties that did not consider general self-defense uh, to be enough of, uh, of a reason to obtain a concealed carry license. The Ninth Circuit Court held 7-4 in the case. Uh, Peruta versus County of San Diego, that the restrictions on concealed carry in California are constitutional, ruling that the Second Amendment right to bear arms does not provide a right to carry concealed arms. Judge William Fletcher for the uh, for the Ninth Circuit majority said the historical materials bearing on the adoption of the Second and Fourteenth Amendments are remarkably consistent going back to 16th century English law. He said uh, he found instances of restrictions on concealed weapons. We therefore conclude that the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms does not include in any degree the right of a member of the general public to carry concealed firearms in public. The court, however, was careful to make their their, uh, ruling narrow. The opinion does not say that concealed weapons in and of themselves are unconstitutional, nor does it make any decisions about openly carrying weapons in public. CNN notes that the case was a blow for gun rights advocates and uh, will uh, likely set up a fight on gun rights for the Supreme Court to consider. They may or may not take the case, particularly with a currently uh, tied court four to four likely on this issue. If they do take the case, if the uh, if they do tie on the issue four to four, since the Republicans are obstructing Uh, President Obama's constitutional duty to uh, appoint a new justice to the court if they do tie on uh, on this particular case, should they decide to take it up, then the uh, the lower court ruling, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, their ruling uh, would stand. So that's good news for uh, gun safety advocates coming out of California today. Meanwhile, uh, Bernie Sanders and President Obama met at the White House at the request of the Vermont senator on Thursday for what the White House had billed in a statement on Wednesday as, quote, a conversation about the significant issues at stake in this election that matter most to America's working families and about how to build on the extraordinary work that Bernie Sanders has done to engage millions of Democratic voters and build on that enthusiasm in the weeks and months ahead. After the meeting on Thursday, Bernie Sanders spoke to the media. He thanked the president and vice president for staying neutral in the race up until now. He restated the case for for his campaign and the issues he continues to promise he will take all the way to the Democratic National Convention in July. He also made the case against Donald Trump and vowed to do everything in his power to make sure Donald Trump does not become president of the United States. Senator Sanders said he will be making his case to the residents of Washington, D.C., which holds the final presidential primary of the cycle next Tuesday. He stated his support for Washington, D.C. statehood, and he noted that he continues to wait for those votes to be counted in California, predicting that when all the votes are tabulated, the count will be much closer than it currently is. Now, as I said, we covered those results 
as they're coming out of California on yesterday's program in great detail, including the hundreds of thousands of votes that have yet to be tallied, along with the enormous problems that many voters had casting a vote at all, and the many problems, some of them very consistent, frankly, at many polling locations, as uh, I'm getting both during the show uh, yesterday, during both two hours yesterday, and since then via email and Twitter and everything else. Um, poll workers had uh, a lot of problems at the precinct as far as uh, you know getting normal ballots to voters. Uh, as I noted, uh, I, I received a comment uh, from uh, L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk about those uh, alarming numbers, the 240,000 provisional ballots uh, that are still uh, there. Well, have not yet been verified, much less tallied. Uh, and about those alarming reports that I've been getting from a lot of people about those provisional ballots uh, being handed out. He responded late yesterday on about two hours sleep, saying that the number of provisional ballots was not disproportionately higher than previous elections of a comparable size and complexity. Now, he has since sent over uh, a more detailed response and numbers to support uh, his case. I'll have that response from him, from the L.A. County Registrar, and much more on that uh, on the California results a, a bit later in uh, in today's show. But back to Bernie Sanders at the White House lawn uh, and his remarks there on Thursday. The senator did not concede the race. He did not endorse Hillary Clinton, but he did vow to work with her to figure out how to defeat Donald Trump this November. Here are Bernie Sanders' remarks on Thursday afternoon at the White House after his meeting with President Obama. Let me begin uh, by thanking President Obama uh, and thanking Vice President Biden for the degree of impartiality uh, they established uh, during the course of this entire process. What they said in the beginning uh, is that they would not put their thumb on the scales, and in fact, they kept their word, and I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, our campaign has been about building a movement which brings working people and young people into the political process to create a government which represents all of us and not just a handful of wealthy campaign contributors. We will continue doing everything that we can to oppose the drift which currently exists toward an oligarchic form of society where a handful of billionaires exercise enormous power over our political, economic, and media life. This is the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. We should not be having millions of senior citizens and disabled veterans struggling to put food on the table because of inadequate Social Security benefits. We should not have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major country on Earth. We should not be having Americans in inner cities, in rural communities, on Native American reservations who have life expectancies lower than many people in third world countries. We should not be having many of our young people leaving college deeply in debt. We should not be having in this great country an infrastructure which is crumbling 
when we have millions of workers prepared to rebuild that infrastructure. And in the midst of all of that, we should not be having a situation where Wall Street, corporate America, and billionaires are failing to pay their fair share of taxes. These are some of the issues that many millions of Americans have supported during my campaign. These are the issues that we will take to the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia at the end of July. Donald Trump would clearly, to my mind, and I think the majority of Americans, be a disaster as President of the United States. It is unbelievable to me, and I say this in all sincerity, that the Republican Party would have a candidate for president who in the year 2016 makes bigotry and discrimination the cornerstone of his campaign. In my view, the American people will not vote for or tolerate a candidate who insults Mexicans and Latinos, who insults Muslims, who insults African-Americans and women. Needless to say, I am going to do everything in my power, and I will work as hard as I can to make sure that Donald Trump does not become president of the United States. I will, of course, be competing in the D.C. primary, which will be held uh, next Tuesday. This is the last primary of the Democratic nominating process. The major point that I will be making to the citizens of the District of Columbia is that I am strongly in favor of D.C. statehood. The state of Vermont, which I represent, has about the same number of residents that Washington, D.C. has, except we have two United States senator and one congressman with full rights, while D.C. does not. That does not make any sense. Also, I look forward to the full counting of the votes in California, which I suspect will show a much closer vote than the current vote tally. Uh, I spoke briefly to Secretary Clinton on Tuesday night, uh, and I congratulated her on her very strong campaign. I look forward to meeting with her in the near future to see how we can work together to defeat Donald Trump and to create a government which represents all of us and not just the 1%. Thank you very much. That was Senator Sanders speaking on the White House lawn, uh, apparently in the wake of uh, a bank robbery. Hey, uh, somebody's feeling the burn. Maybe there's something on fire. In the background there, yeah. Uh, That was Bernie Sanders at the White House today. Shortly after he spoke, the White House released a video with President Obama's official endorsement of Hillary Clinton. Here's the president's endorsement in full. For more than a year now, across thousands of miles in all 50 states, tens of millions of Americans have made their voices heard. Today, I just want to add mine. I want to congratulate Hillary Clinton on making history as the presumptive Democratic nominee for President of the United States. Look, I know how hard this job can be. That's why I know Hillary will be so good at it. In fact, I don't think there's ever been someone so qualified to hold this office. She's got the courage, 
the compassion and the heart to get the job done. And I say that as somebody who had to debate her more than 20 times. Even after our own hard-fought campaign, in a testament to her character, she agreed to serve our country as Secretary of State. And from the decision we made in the Situation Room to get bin Laden, to our pursuit of diplomacy and capitals around the world, I have seen her judgment. I've seen her toughness. I've seen her commitment to our values up close. I've seen her determination to give every American a fair shot at opportunity, no matter how tough the fight was. That's what has always driven her, and it still does. So I want those of you who've been with me from the beginning of this incredible journey to be the first to know that I'm with her. I am fired up, and I cannot wait to get out there and campaign for Hillary. I also want to thank everybody who turned out to vote and who worked so hard for our candidates. This has been a hard-fought race. I know some say these primaries have somehow left the Democratic Party more divided. Well, you know, they said that eight years ago as well. But just like eight years ago, there are millions of Americans, not just Democrats, who've cast their ballots for the very first time. And a lot of that is thanks to Senator Bernie Sanders, who has run an incredible campaign. I had a great meeting with him this week, and I thanked him for shining a spotlight on issues like economic inequality and the outsized influence of money in our politics and bringing young people into the process. Embracing that message is going to help us win in November. But more importantly, it'll make the Democratic Party stronger and it will make America stronger. Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders may have been rivals during this primary, but they're both patriots who love this country and they share a vision for the America that we all believe in. An America that's hopeful, an America that's big-hearted, an America that is strong and fair and gives that we had in this election. And if we all come together in common effort, I'm convinced we won't just win in November. We'll build on the progress that we've made and we will win a brighter future for this country that we love. That was President Obama's endorsement today of uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton for President of the United States, lauding uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, the contest and saying that, yes, the Democratic Party will survive uh, the uh, battle, the apparently continuing battle. Uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts reportedly, according to The Hill, as we go to air, has also decided to endorse Hillary Clinton. The Hill reports Warren, who has so far remained neutral during Clinton's heated Democratic presidential primary against Bernie Sanders, will offer her endorsement, which the paper reports could ease progressive voters who are reluctant to get behind Clinton and unify the Democratic Party heading into the general election. All of that said, is it now, in fact, time for Sanders to get out of the race? Does it hurt the Democratic Party and their chances for defeating Donald Trump? Is all of that jeopardized by Sanders' promise to stay in through Philadelphia? At the very least, to fight for a real progressive platform for the Democratic Party at the convention? And what does history tell us about similarly contested conventions? My guest, a Sanders supporter who thinks it's time for Sanders to get out, joins me next to discuss all of the above. That and much more still ahead on today's broadcast. Please stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Burning down the house, what? All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, As noted previously, Bernie Sanders met on Thursday at the White House with President Obama to discuss the way forward for Democrats in the presidential race and beyond. Senator Sanders spoke to reporters after the meeting, vowing to work together to defeat Donald Trump this November, but also to continue his own populist campaign through the D.C. primary next week and through the Democratic National Convention at the end of July. He did not, at least not yet, he did not endorse Hillary Clinton, but he did vow to work together to defeat Trump, and that in turn was followed by a pretty full-throated endorsement of Hillary Clinton by President Obama himself in a video released by the White House. So, is it finally time for Bernie Sanders to drop out of the race and endorse Hillary Clinton? Well, the Vermont senator noted that he is still waiting for all of the votes to be tallied in California. Indeed, there are hundreds of thousands of them still to go out here, as we detailed on yesterday's program. Uh, And we'll as we'll talk about a bit more later today in Los Angeles alone, there are at least a quarter of a million votes still to be counted. So a lot to wait for there. Sanders says he expects the results there currently showing Clinton with about a 13 point lead to tighten as more votes are tallied. But uh, is his remaining in the race at this point hurting the Democrats chances to defeat Trump this fall on Tuesday morning? As voters were taking part in the primary contests in California, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota and Montana over at TalkingPointsMemo.com, John Judas, a Bernie Sanders supporter, made the case that Sanders needs to get out of the uh, to get out of the race after the California contest, no matter what the results there in a piece headlined Bernie Sanders should drop out and endorse Hillary Clinton Period. Joining us now to discuss that piece, all related to it, today's news and likely a bit more, is John Judas. He is an editor-at-large at at TalkingPointsMemo.com and a visiting scholar at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He formerly worked at the New Republic for 25 years, up until things went to hell in a handbasket over there a year or two ago. He's also the author of seven books. His latest, The Populist Explosion, How the Great Recession Transformed America and European Politics. That book is due out in October. John Judas, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh, nice having me. Uh, it is indeed. Uh, all right, John, uh, two points I want to hit off the top before we get into this discussion. Uh, one, while I, I think it's fair to say uh, TPM founder and uh, executive editor over there, Josh Marshall, uh, has been pretty pro-Clinton, at least in my opinion, throughout the primary cycle. And, and, uh, and though you write on occasion for the same editor's blog that he does there, you were, in fact, 
a supporter of Bernie Sanders uh, for quite some time, correct? I voted for him. Okay. Well, is that enough? I mean, I never expected that he would uh, win the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the nomination. And uh, the piece I did write about him mm-hmm. uh, right before the Maryland primary, that's, which is where I live, was that if I actually thought he was going to win the uh, nomination, I might have second thoughts about voting for him. Uh, I support him as a kind of visionary. Mm-hmm. I... I, uh, I believe in the kind of things that he wants for the country. Uh, but I think he, he would have had a hell of a time uh, winning uh, in November on the basis of those issues. So uh, I think that uh, Clinton is going to be a more effective candidate uh, in November than uh, Bernie would have been. But I wanted to give him support because uh, I wanted to support what he stood for and and you made your call for him to drop out and endorse you made that before uh california before the results from california and those other states came in your call for him to get out afterwards uh was based on uh, no matter what the results were uh, well correct? i mean look I, I i it was fair to assume i think clinton had to win like 20 percent in california to get enough uh, delegates to win. So I, I, I certainly assumed that she was going to lock up the nomination. And mm-hmm. indeed, you know, the Associated Press called it on a Monday night. But I, I guess what concerned me was that, um, that, that the Sanders people would take a win in California as a reason to really go fight it out at the convention. And I thought that that would be a, a terrible mistake for the uh, party and for the country uh, because of what I've seen happen at those kind of mm-hmm. uh, conventions. I, I really don't care if he gets out now. I mean, after next week, after Tuesday's uh, uh, D.C. primary would be fine, too. I think that's when Hillary Clinton got out um, mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago. So that, I'm not picky about the exact time, but it re- I, I would like to see him concede before the convention and not make a big issue at the convention itself, especially about delegates and all that that stuff. Well, that and that's what I want to talk to you about because you cite in your uh, in your uh, article at TPM uh, as support for your case that can't, uh, Sanders needs to get out uh, after California or now beyond uh, two recentish examples of contested. Uh, national party conventions on both the Republican and the Democratic side that ultimately did not turn out well for either party in question. So I want to talk about both of those because I don't know that uh, people you know, may remember exactly what happened. I'm hoping you can give us that background. So first, let's talk about the 19, uh, was it 1976 GOP yes, example. 1976. What happened? And uh, that was uh, Reagan versus Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ford was the president. Uh, he he had replaced Richard Nixon in 1974, and he was running as an incumbent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ronald Reagan challenged him from the right. And um, Reagan had a lot of trouble in the early primaries and got himself into a position where it was very hard for him to win, but uh, then started attacking uh, Ford on foreign policy. And uh, by the time the, uh, the the end of the primaries came, he had a lot of momentum, but he didn't have enough delegates. He was behind. Uh, so there, there really was, if you counted the votes, if you counted the delegates, no way in which he was going to get the nomination. 
So he went into the uh, convention with the idea that he would persuade uh, the delegates to change their allegiance, even if their state had voted for Ford. And um, he chose a a vice president, a very controversial vice president, Richard Schweiker, Mm -hmm. who was was a senator from uh, Pennsylvania, and at the time was much more um, moderate or liberal even than uh, uh, Reagan was, but had some clout in Pennsylvania, and he thought he could bring that delegation around. Uh, And the strategy didn't work. But it created a lot of tumult. yeah, I can't say that it lost uh, Ford the nomination, but if you look at what happened in that election, Ford uh, didn't uh, get a big bounce from the convention, and then he started to catch up, and by the end he'd almost caught uh, Carter. So it it definitely didn't help him, and I think it probably hurt hurt him. And that was uh, so that was ni- that was 1976. That was 1976 on the Republican side and then 4 years later in 1980 we had a similar example, a similar contested convention uh, on on the Democratic side. Remind us of of that uh, floor fight. Okay, and I that's one that I was actually there. I was covering and earlier than that I'd actually knocked on some doors for uh, Kennedy, Ted Ted Kennedy was running against mm-hmm. Carter. And uh, it was another case where uh, he was running to the left of the, uh, uh, just as Reagan was running to the right, he was running to the, to the, to the left mm-hmm. of an incumbent president. Um, he had done very poorly at the beginning. Uh, he lost uh, Iowa. And um, it was New Ted, Hampshire too. Ted Kennedy. And then he Ted, started to pick up at the very end, and he won. Uh, I think he won both New Jersey and California. So he came. He had a kind of ideal uh, ending compared to Bernie. I mm-hmm. mean, he actually did win those two the big states right at the end. But he was way behind. He wasn't going to. Uh, he wasn't going. The only way he could win the nomination was to get the rules committee to change and to uh, decide that delegates from states were free to vote for whoever they wanted, regardless of who their uh, state voted for. And they tried that, and then it failed. But then they had a a 17-hour platform battle uh, over all these planks that um, over the next 10, 15 years you could throw in the garbage can, you know, (laughs) whether to... But spend forty billion dollars rather than thirty billion dollars for cities, and of course Reagan, you know, was going to cut the spending. So, so in effect, they they had a big battle over whether on these platform planks that nobody would pay any attention to, um, the uh, uh, the platform should be more farther to the left, and um, the the uh, convention itself was really dominated by Kennedy in that sense. He gave a very good uh, speech. At the end, he kind of snubbed Carter on the platform, where he turned around uh, where on the on the on the uh, stage. It was right. a it was a very odd kind of thing. So Carter came out of that somewhat besmirched, and uh, of course, in the same way, you could say that he might have lost anyway. But it definitely didn't help him. And uh, you know, that was a very important election, obviously. Uh, uh, that had more consequence than 1976, and in a way is similar to what's happening uh, today. Uh, you know, my view at this point is Kennedy's, uh, Kennedy, we're really mixed up here. Clinton's going to be the nominee. It's out, it's sure, there's nothing to do. So, you know, it's in the interest of people who are Democrats, liberals, 
who are queasy about a, uh, Donald Trump becoming our next president, they do what they can to help her. And having a big convention battle will not help her. So that's the that's there. You got it. That's the whole whole argument. Well, you also well in the article though you uh, you talk about those platform changes that Kennedy was able to get in, and you sort of belittle them here as well because they in fact did you know disappear. They got him in the platform, but it didn't mean anything because Ronald Reagan won. Now, had uh, Jimmy Carter won, would those platform changes have uh, you know have meant more? In other words, are you suggesting that the fight for changes the to the party to platform? The answer to that is no. Is, <laughs> I, I don't think platforms ma- matter. Uh, people just forget them right afterwards. They, you know, there's a big battle, and uh-huh. then they're just uh, they're just forgotten. It's not a it, it, it's a it's an event at the time, and it's not even most of that stuff is not even covered on television. Uh, so uh, yeah, the answer is it, w- it wouldn't matter. So uh, I, if if the uh, if the Sanders people want to go all out for Medicare for all and college mm-hmm. education and stuff, there's going to be a chance. You know, develop movements. Uh, Bernie should do what he get, should get ready to be the budget chairman. There's a lot of power he'll have. Um, Support candidates, uh, congressional candidates, uh, who are who think think the way that he does and his supporters do, um, but uh, don't uh, cripple the uh, the nominee. That's that's my view, and uh, it's very important for the nominee to be able to craft, in this case, her her message. Mm-hmm. Now she might screw it up. I don't I don't have tremendous confidence in her campaign people. But uh, it won't help to have a lot of contention. Well, that's the question. Uh, are, are you suggesting that the fight, whether it was in, uh, in 1980 or even now, that the fight itself for the platform, whether you feel it's important or isn't, that that fight itself ends up uh, hurting the uh, hurt the Democratic uh, chances? It, it doesn't back help, then? and it can in in 19 in both the examples I gave. It definitely hurt. Now, the classic example is 1968, but that's really different with the Democrats, where. Uh, uh, that just do uh, the what happened in Chicago mm-hmm. at the Democratic convention, where Hubert Humphrey was nominated and uh, or demonstrate. I was there actually, but I wasn't there as a press. I was there as a protest, as a troublemaker, uh, an agitator. John Judas, I know what you were doing there. That's my yeah. That was my past, and <laughs> uh, but that really screwed up uh, Humphrey. Humphrey might have actually won the election, but but the thing was that the whole primary system was completely different then. He hadn't actually won a single primary. Um, the delegates were themselves chosen within the parties, and they came and they gave him the vote. So he had, he, he, it's completely different from now. He hadn't, right. he hadn't earned it at all in the sense of winning uh, popular Democratic approval. He had just won it uh, from offic- officials, and that was the base. That's why everything blew up. And that's why they changed the rules afterwards. But on the, you know, just in terms of this point, that convention and the chaos of it and the tumult and the aftermath of it uh, doomed his candidacy. Do- it, it did. Uh, he he was uh, he was pretty much doomed to lose from then on. Uh, John, are you? Do you see any way that Bernie Sanders could stay in uh, in the race through Philadelphia that would not harm the party? If so, what would that look like? Or or is it just his presence is uh, is going to hurt Democrats? He as could you see stay it. in the race by supporting her. No, I think it's going to be a big deal to get his uh, people on board 
and excited about the campaign, and I think he should give a, a very gracious speech and say that he's uh, going to support the, mm-hmm. the issues that he's always supported, that he thinks that uh, Hillary Clinton is uh, the right person to be president, and uh, he should do what he can to get uh, the people who supported him to support her. Yeah. That's what That would be my advice, and I think... It would be in his interest and the country's interest if he did that. What What is uh, her role in this? Do you think she has a role uh, here to uh, to bring him together, to bring his supporters over to uh, to her side, or is this all up to Bernie at this point, as you see it? Oh, she can make some concessions, but she's the nominee. I mean, you know, it's not... Uh, uh, she, she's got to think about what she can do to win over the people who voted for him, and that might contribute to her choice of a uh, vice president. That's the main thing that she's going to do at the convention. All the other stuff is uh, is really secondary. I mean, maybe the speech will be important that she gives, and maybe it'll be, you know, what, what kind of uh, speaker she gets and what kind of themes uh, uh, she pre- presents in the convention. But I, I have to tell you, I'm not a great fan of her as a political campaigner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worry about that. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, the 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 less I, I mean, I think Hillary Clinton's best role is going to be in the debates, uh, where she faces down uh, Trump, and where just her superior intellect and uh, her her ability not to take any crap from people uh, will will come to the surface. Uh, but uh, again, I I don't know how well they'll do it. I don't know how well they'll craft uh, the. Uh, the campaign, but I imagine they'll do something at the convention to appeal to those uh, voters who who uh, supported Bernie Sanders. You, I, and and you wrote at uh, TPM today that uh, Democrats have reason to worry uh, following uh, Donald Trump's victory speech on Tuesday, and as you note now, uh, Hillary Clinton's let's say weakness to a certain extent as a candidate. But uh, all of the, the and I want to ask you about that. But this sort of underscores, does it not, John, that uh, both in the case of uh, in 1976, Republicans, Ford, Reagan and 1980, Carter Kennedy, you had these challenges to the front runners. The front runners in both cases ended up losing, um, you know, which which, you note, and, you know, they might have lost anyway. But is there a reason to believe here that, you know, maybe we see these challenges in 76 and in 80 and now? in 2016 because the front runners uh maybe are weaker than they should be and maybe you know maybe the republicans should have paid attention to reagan in 76 and uh kennedy in 1980 and maybe bernie sanders in 2016 that there's a reason that they can be challenged that they are being challenged yeah, yeah, the way yeah. they are you know i know what you're saying uh I think that that, that uh, Trump is a weaker challenger than Reagan was in 80 or that Carter was in 1976. So I think Hillary Clinton should be able to win. Uh, I I don't I think that if Bernie Sanders had gotten the nomination he mm-hmm. would be very vulnerable. Um you know the if you remember the guy named Tim Russert who was the meet the press guy and mm-hmm. used to always ask these people how they were going to pay for things and right. taxes. With a Democratic uh, constituency, you don't have to deal with these kind of questions. But once you get into a general election, uh, how uh, Bernie was going to explain doing all the kind of things he wanted to do without raising taxes, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, His political past would have been a a big problem. 
uh, even his age. Uh, I, so I, I don't, um, uh, again, I think Cl- in this case, I, uh, Clinton has a lot of weaknesses. Uh, I think that uh, I would have worried more if Bernie Sanders was the nominee than uh, Clinton. Really? Uh, interesting. You, you you note that Democrats, in any event, have reason to worry following Trump's speech very quickly. We've got just a minute or two here left. Uh, uh, why should this is something I've been warning about, by the way, from day one, day one, when I was telling people take Trump seriously, he's likely to win the nomination and everybody else was laughing at it. I've also been warning, hey, Democrats, be careful what you wish for. What did you see in that in that victory speech on uh, on Tuesday well, night? That I, gave you reason I've to always worry? seen that, that there is a Trump, uh, there's a kind of uh, core Trump uh, uh, appeal, if you, uh, but you have to eliminate all the crazy stuff mm-hmm. and the bigotry and all that. And it's along the lines of economic nationalism. A lot, a lot of it recalls uh, Ross Perot. Uh, it, it even people like Sherrod Brown and the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Pe- concern about runaway shops, factories leaving uh, for overseas or for Mexico. Uh, trade deals that may mainly make it easier for American corporations to move mm-hmm. overseas and sell their goods uh, uh, back here. Um, he's a big spender. He's not a uh, you know he's not a traditional uh, kind of throw the widows out in the in the uh, snow kind of uh, mm-hmm. Republican. I mean, he talks about protecting everybody and and uh, and saving jobs and building infrastructure and employing people for that. So I think that that kind of message could be very powerful uh, in, a, in an election. It's just that with him, it's got all these encumbrances. I, I just don't think that Americans, 50% of American voters, are going to support a guy whom they see as bigoted. I mean, George Wallace always had that problem. I mean, he would never have won an election, even if he won the uh, primary. And in Europe, the uh, the uh, right-wing populists like Marine Le Pen have the same problem. There's a kind of limit, and uh, I, I maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I think that the uh, the thing with the judge was really a, a turning point, uh, the, the Mexican-American judge yeah. not being an American. Um, well, you know, we'll see if that turns out to be a turning point, John. There have been so many. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Yeah. Well, there have been so many points, uh, you know, where people, uh, oh, John McCain is not a war hero. That's going to do Trump in and this and that. You know, none of those guys well, you mentioned. Well, didn't do him in with the Republican electorate. Right. But a general electorate is going to be t- tougher. And uh, the, uh, the, the independents are going to be tougher. And I think that that's kind of, I, I would be surprised if there isn't a big jump in Hispanic turnout, which has been very, very low in the last elections. I mean, it's been in the high 30s, uh, 30%. It gets up to 50% even, which is considerably lower than African Americans and the whites. And if it's like 75, 25 very hard uh, for a Republican to win an election. That's the theory. Uh, we'll see. I, you know, George Wallace and the examples you cited are not the uh, effective communicators that uh, that Donald Trump is. He oh, doesn't George have the command Wallace of the media. Pretty good. Well, but not the command me. of the media, the control, frankly, <laughs> of the media that Donald Trump has. 
Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a different, it seems to me anyway, a different ball game with him. Uh, uh, John, before I let you go, uh, the I want to uh, plug your book here uh, coming up, The Populist Explosion, How the Great Recession Transformed American and European Politics. That's coming out in October. Do you see the, uh, is Donald Trump and uh, I guess Bernie Sanders here a part of that populist explosion? Yeah, yeah, I you do see Trump it? and Sanders and I do the uh, their European con- Counterparts in France and Denmark and Spain. In in uh, in uh, Europe, there's a left wing and right wing populace, and Podemos in Spain is very similar to the uh, Bernie Sanders people, uh, except for Bernie himself. It's all a lot of thirty uh, somethings and twenty somethings. Uh, so it's a it's a very it's all a very similar political base and uh, movement. Does that explode? That populist explosion on the left uh, have legs beyond Bernie Sanders, as you see it? Oh, you mean in the United States? Yeah, in the United States. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see. I, I, you know, I'm amazed by the the uh, by the. I, I was very surprised that he did as well as he did, and uh, I'm surprised that uh, young people as a constituency have been so important. But if you think back in the last. Uh, 50 or 60 years, that's certainly, it's nothing unusual. That was The 60s were all about young people, too. And I think that part of Bernie's appeal is that he's still a 60s person. I mean, there's some, there's some kind of magical link between that generation and the generation now that's generating this kind of enthusiasm for his campaign. Uh, but the uh, Democratic Party will survive this uh, terrible civil war, even if Bernie Sanders stays in through uh, through the uh, convention in July. Oh, the Republicans are in much more trouble as a party, I think, than the Democrats. And uh, I, I don't. He, he's not. He, I I have too much respect for him that uh, I don't think he's going to allow that kind of tumult to uh, happen. I I suspect that he will withdraw within the next weeks. All right, we'll hold you to that. John Judas, editor-at-large at TalkingPointsMemo.com. If Bernie Sanders doesn't drop out, if he ends up hurting the party, just blame John or something. Okay, I don't know. sure. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> See great, you later. Great talking to you. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back back to California, back to L.A. County response from the L.A. County Registrar, Recorder, County Clerk about... A quarter of a million ballots still uncounted, a huge number of provisional ballots. His response, some of your tweets, and more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. It's all in the air. You hear it everywhere. No matter what you do, it's gonna Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, we've been buried, really, with uh, comments from people since getting off the air yesterday and doing uh, two hours yesterday, taking calls from folks all over Southern California from not just voters, but from poll workers who were reporting problems at the polling place. Particularly, this is uh, what has most, I think, caught my eye. Uh, since Tuesday's uh, primary in California, uh, people showing up to the polls, uh, finding they either weren't on the registration list. In many cases, they might have registered too late to make it onto the regular roster, but supplemental uh, pages were supposed to be sent out to the polling place or finding that they were on the polls, but that they were set as a vote by mail uh, vote by mail uh, voter that they had requested a vote-by-mail ballot when, in fact, they feel they had not requested a vote-by-mail ballot, in which case, if they didn't bring in and surrender that vote-by-mail ballot, then uh, they would have to vote on a provisional ballot, which, yes, out here in California, if the voter is properly registered and if they haven't voted uh, by mail, uh, should be counted. L.A. County clerk tells me that uh, 90 was 85 to 90 percent of provisional ballots traditionally have been counted out here in Los Angeles County. And as we reported on uh, yesterday's program, some uh, almost a quarter million votes remain uncounted in Los Angeles County alone. Of those, 240,000 of them are provisional ballots. I had uh, uh, contacted Dean Logan. He's the uh, L.A. County Registrar, Recorder County Clerk, about those seemingly very high numbers of provisional ballots. Uh, After the show yesterday, he responded to say that the provisional number is high, but he says not disproportionately so compared to other major elections and given the uh, primary specific elements that everyone was dealing with. He said he was working on about two hours sleep when he sent me that comment, but he promised to give me some numbers today to uh, shore up that case that uh, that though it seems high, it's not uh, incredibly high. It's not disproportionately so considering the size and complexity. And it was complex uh, of Tuesday's election out here. We've got in California some seven different political parties, 10 different ballot styles. And uh, 12 different uh, ballot languages that all have to be dealt with. And in L.A. alone, we've got, uh, let's see, 18 million voters across the entire state of California. In L.A. alone, we've got 5 million voters, nearly 5 million voters. There were 650,000 new registered voters who registered in the last six weeks before the deadline. And the deadline goes pretty much right up to the election, just 15 days before. So that's a lot to catch up with and get out to the polls in time. A lot to deal with. So I'm somewhat sympathetic uh, to to at least what Dean Logan has to try to deal with in uh, in a county that is larger than 42 other states. If this was a state, uh, if just L.A. County was a state, it would be a huge one, larger than 42 others. Um, In any event, so we've got uh, to look at these numbers, 240,000 provisional ballots in the 2016 primary election in L.A. County. He cites the provisional stats from uh, previous similar elections in the uh, 2008 presidential primary when uh, Hillary Clinton was battling uh, Barack Obama, 176,000 
provisional ballots. Well, we've got a lot more than that this time. 70,000 more this time. Uh, in the uh, in the November 2008 presidential general election, however, there was 270,000 uh, uh, provisional ballots. He says that's a and they had a comparable surge in registration just before that particular election. Um, so that's uh, what he gives his number in the uh, well, the 2012 presidential primary isn't really comparable, just 50,000 provisionals, but not comparable because it was low turnout, low registration. It was not a contested primary in the November 2012 presidential general election. There was 370,000 provisional ballots with a, a comparable surge in registration. Uh, and that was the first time that we've had online registration out here in California. Uh, he says, uh, we have seen consistent increases in provisional ballots cast uh, by vote-by-mail voters who do not bring in their unvoted ballot to surrender or who indicate they did not receive their vote-by-mail ballot. This is according to Dean Logan. He says, I believe, he says, I cannot confirm right now that trend is consistent across the state and was specifically cited in the November 2012 and 2014 elections. He tells me it is fair to say that there has not been a primary in California in recent history where no party preference crossover voting, since no party preference voters are allowed to vote in the Democratic primary, uh, no election in recent history where NPP crossover voting has been both highlighted and encouraged as it was in this election. He says, I'm sure that the breakout of provisional ballots will reflect that as well. So we will see as the process moves forward, as those uh, those ballots are tallied. Um, he also gave me another comment about the uh, uh, those who had uh, asked for a vote by mail or went went to the polls and were told that they had asked for a vote by mail ballot. And in fact, uh, we received some tweets on this as well after yesterday's show. Ron Lipschitz tweeted to me that uh, he worked polls in North Hollywood. He said the worst issue was folks who were registered as vote by mail who weren't aware of it and didn't sign up for it. Dean Logan's response on that, he says, uh, on the issue of voters who indicate they did not request a VBM, a vote by mail ballot, he said, I heard that from voters on Tuesday as well. He said, I don't have quantification on that, but I checked several personally and found that they were online registrations where the permanent vote-by-mail request box was checked. He notes that it is possible that the design of the original online registration application resulted in voters marking that selection without intention or understanding. He adds, but that is speculative on my part. So we will uh, be keeping our eyes on that. In fact, I got a bunch of other tweets that I don't think I'm going to have uh, time for. I want to hit uh, one in particular. Maybe we'll get to some on our next program. But uh, one in particular uh, comes from a Twitterer calling themselves Kylie, who listened to yesterday's show. And we had someone who had called in, said that her son had registered to vote, uh, wanted to vote just uh, so that he could vote for Bernie Sanders. But when he ran the ballot through the uh, ballot reader at the precinct, it kept kicking it back as invalid. We heard from other uh, folks during the show saying that that might have been because that ballot reader thought the ballot was not properly voted, that it was an undervote because it had only one vote on it, one single vote. And that was for Bernie Sanders, as the caller explained. 
and as her son became uh, discouraged thereafter because of the entire process. Now, I think his ballot actually will be tallied. It was put in, into the box manually when the uh, ballot reader had problems reading it. So I think it will be uh, tallied. In any event, this Twitterer sent in a multi-part tweet, said, Hi, Brad, listen to today's show, was struck by the mom caller who said machine couldn't read son's ballot with only Bernie vote. She said he only cared to vote for Bernie, nothing else, but the experience made him never want to vote again. Didn't that strike you as a bit odd, if not hypocritical? He had the opportunity to fully engage, chose not to fully engage, I guess by voting only for Bernie Sanders. And now he might be against fully engaging. I thought that was so strange and was sad. I couldn't call to rebut it. Thanks, said Kylie on the Twitters. Uh, Thank you for that note, uh, 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 Kylie. I would I would say this uh, in response. People do get upset. People do get discouraged when there are problems like that at the polls. People get very passionate in these elections. It's one of the beautiful and horrible things about democracy. People get emotionally invested, and that is great. That's great. But when things don't go as planned or hoped, when your candidate loses, yes, it can be heartbreaking. And when there are problems voting, it makes people want to not do it again. And this is just one of the reasons why I've railed at the Democratic Party, not to mention Republicans, for years. They want to win elections. But they don't want to make sure that voters keep voting by making sure that there can be confidence and oversight of the system by the electorate. Yes, it really it really does matter if everyone's vote is counted, counted accurately and counted in a way that they can know that it's been counted accurately. And that is true in close elections and blowouts alike. But Democrats or at least the Democratic Party. They seem to care about the close elections, at least when they are the ones who are behind in that close election, but they don't care otherwise. And it's succeeded in helping to turn off several generations of voters from the process entirely. At least that would be my argument. The Democratic Party needs to care not only uh, in those close elections and not only around election time, but all year around. And not just to make sure that they win, but to make sure that the voters win, no matter who they might wish to support. Even if they're voting for the most abhorrent candidate in the world. Similarly, by the way, voters of all parties need to do the same thing. I can't tell you how many times that I've been attacked both in recent weeks during this primary and over the past 10 years for fighting for voters, no matter who they support, no matter no matter what. If I stick up for a Sanders voter, uh, I'm accused of being a Sanders supporter. If I stick up for a Hillary voter, I'm accused of supporting her. But when I stick up for a Republican voter, well, suffice to say, everybody hates me. Uh, at least when they're not busy uh, loving me, when it's their candidate that they feel has gotten screwed by the system. Anyway, I, I, I wear both the hatred and love as a badge of honor non, nonetheless, and uh, onward we go, fighting for voters. Someone's got to. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to John Judas of Talking Points Memo, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of this program or any other You can download it for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Find me and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at TheBradBlog. Until we meet again, 
I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.